Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Azzurri fan. We're too nervous to make any childish innuendos in this episode. It's the final of Euro 2020, and Italy are in it to win it. With Spain somehow dispatched, it's back to Wembley to face England. We'll discuss whether football's home will in fact mean Rome in this episode of Scudetto. Hello and welcome to the pod. Our man Oscar's done a bit of a runner today. Uh, we're hearing he's been poached by a rival podcast. Uh, I believe it's coming home pod or uh, something something like that. So it's just Boaz and I with you here today. Uh, but we are told that Oscar will be back, although when that will be, I am not entirely sure. Uh, but yeah, let's in, uh, let's uh, meet the 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 other squad member for tonight, Boaz in Tel Aviv. How are you doing? I'm going to be putting it out there straight away that uh, depending on results this weekend, Oscar may come back next week or he may come back by the time Qatar <laughs> comes around. So we'll see. And how have you been? I'm doing very well. The game against Spain, has my heart has not stopped beating since then. And uh, I'm uh, very stressed about the final. But overall, it's a good summer. Yeah, it's weird the way tournaments do that to you, isn't it? Like the games come so thick and fast and it's with a knockout uh, form as well you kind of feel like you've just recovered from one when you've got to go through it all all again if you're lucky and you and you make it to the latter stages of course yeah and you commit to doing a podcast for every episode and <laughs> the team you're, you're <laughs> representing makes it all the way to the final and, and now we're forced to do another episode regardless of the result hopefully we'll be happy at the end of this weekend as i said yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get into it in a in a bit. But before we do, Boz, have you have you got a, a beer, a civilized beer, with you this evening? I'm drinking a Hop Hop New England IPA. Um, it's a collaboration between a Greek brewery and a, a brewery and an Israeli one. And I had it right at the beginning of the tournament, so I'm uh, I'm hoping it brings luck again. Great. I've, uh, on the other hand, have got myself a. It's another brew dog. Uh, just getting lazy at this stage, but when <laughs> you're doing podcasts every two days uh it's a, a hazy jane it's quite a nice one have it quite often uh but anyway let's get on to speaking about the football you mentioned the spain game and yeah i mean it was it was horrifically uh, stressful wasn't it um what were your overall impressions of the game i think the my biggest takeaway was perhaps um luis enrique's unexpected uh, tactical change which was a genius move from him in the sense that he took out uh, Morata and, and essentially played with a false nine. And uh, this threw uh, both Bonucci and Chiellini out of sync a little bit because they didn't know whether they had to follow their man or stay in position. Um, apparently, in Luis Enrique had said that he'd seen how um, the Italy defense had dealt with Lukaku and he thought he'd throw, throw them something a little bit different. And I think uh, that pretty much shaped the whole match. Italy had... 
ridiculously low possession for this game. I think it was around 34%. Yeah. But for me, the what is, gives me a little bit of confidence in uh, this match was that Roberto Mancini made a very conscious decision to play in this way. He knew that uh, Italy could probably not challenge uh, Spain for ball possession. And therefore, he preferred to leave the ball to them and kind of uh, play on the counterattack. And Italy's goal came from a counterattack. So he was uh, proven right and... Uh, Probably could have also won it in the 90 with uh, the chances that w- fell at uh, Berardi's feet, amongst many others. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not so sure that it was quite that conscious. To, to be honest, there was. I, I think Italy just really struggled to to kind of keep the ball. I mean, Spain were so good for me at like the, at, at intercepting, at reading the game. Busquets, much as he should have uh, been booked about five times for professional fouls before he eventually was booked but I mean just his his reading of the game was incredible and add to that I think the number of times that Italy played crossfield balls I think Chiellini was guilty of it at about two or three times at least like crossfield balls that just went straight out of play um, I just felt like Spain's passing was much sharper and Italy yeah there, were, there was a lot of sort of wayward passing which is really really unlike uh, Italy from from what we've seen so far. Having said that, for me, absolutely, they, it's something that we've said. They, they proved that they know how to suffer and grind out a result. So, yeah, I think undoubtedly you've got to be happy to, to escape from, from a game like that. But, yeah, I don't know who these people were who said that they were watching the, the, the most enjoyable game of the tournament because I was watching half of it from behind my sofa, to be honest. It was terrifying to me. Yeah, I... Completely, I watched it between my hands, as as you do with a horror movie. And um, I mean, I guess it's because we're invested. Uh, apparently, outsiders enjoyed it, but you have to say that there was a lot of chances on goal from both teams. So, at least in in uh, terms of um, entertainment for the neutral, at least there there was some offered. Then, of course, it went to extra time and it got a little bit more cagey. But um, I mean, you have to commend both sides for the way they approach the attacking end of the game. And it got, this is obviously an Italian football-focused podcast, but we, we'd be liars if we didn't say that Spain probably deserved to go through and that they played a fantastic game, probably one of the best performances of this tournament. But uh, maybe on the basis of the tournament as a whole, Italy deserved a little bit more. And uh, when it came down to penalties, a lot of people were very confident. Yeah, yeah, but before we got to penalties, obviously there was a special, a special moment that kind of sent everyone into uh, delirium with uh, Chiesa. That that incredible, incredible finish. I mean, we have to say he's really in this tournament. He's really kind of started looking the part now, don't we? He's kind of getting to that very quickly, getting to that sort of elite status. I would say. Well, having scored the goal in the Coppa Italia final, it's clear that uh, Freddie Church is a big occasion player. <laughs> there it is. And um, in addition, if even though Juventus had a generally lackluster season, at least by their standards, it has to be said that he was one of the shining lights throughout. Maybe he gets a little bit of stick or he got a little bit of stick from fans because he plays for Juventus and because of the, na- the nature of his move from Fiorentina. And I, actually, I, I was guilty of this myself. I felt, I felt the price tag at 60 million euros was perhaps a little bit steep. But uh, on the basis of his performances this season, but especially how he's uh, 
taken to the limelight in this tournament, I'd say that 60 million euros in today's market is a pretty fair price for him. Yeah, and he looks like a big game player, doesn't he? And you often say of players that they hide away. I think Lukaku's often blamed of it, possibly unfairly, but Kiz is the opposite. He seems to relish that stage. And there was that uh, there was that little um, moment between uh, Luis Enrico and uh, Chiesa at the beginning of the extra time, I believe, when they were kind of having a little laugh between them. And I mean, I guess if Italy had lost, the media and the fans would have crucified him for that. But uh, I thought I thought it showed that he was very level-headed. And yeah, I'm playing a semi-final of a Euro here, but I'm still out here to have fun. I'm still here to play football. I think his attitude has been brilliant and. I like the fact that he metaphorically looked at Insigne and said, anything that you can do, I can do better. And uh, <laughs> took his uh, copyrighted Tiragir shot. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, but then obviously Spain equalized uh, through that uh, Morata clinical clinical finish. Uh, and that had us heading into into, well, into extra time and then to to dreaded penalties. Uh, I wasn't feeling great going into the penalties, as I just... I don't know. I've seen plenty of penalty shootouts where I, I've, you know, been less convinced that it was going to go against the team that I was supporting than this one was. How are you? How are you feeling heading into into the shootout? I was thinking about this a lot, and um, I came to the realization that penalties have given me both my two uh, biggest uh, personal victories in terms of football. One of which was uh, Milan's victory in the Champions League against Juventus at Old Trafford where myself and my brother were present and Milan, of course, won on penalties. It was a terrible game, but uh, when, you're, when your team ends up lifting the trophy, you don't care. And the other one is, uh, of course, the 2006 World Cup, where Italy of deservedly went all the way and then beat a France team that honestly should have never been in the final. That, that was also a glorious occasion. But then I think about my probably my first real footballing disappointment was at USA 94, uh, with the iconic Baggio yeah. penalty and the Baresi, of course, also missed. Yeah. And I was actually crying for that. I was I was destroyed as a kid. I, it took me a few days to recover. And the other super painful uh, penalty shootout was, of course, Istanbul. When um, we, we won't mention it on this episode, on this podcast. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm already feeling tense. But uh, yeah, when uh, a, a clear Champions League for Andrei Shevchenko was stolen. Going into penalties, I mean, I, I hate penalties and. I'm never particularly confident about them, but you have to say that when your keeper is uh, built like a tree, it's, it gives yeah. you a little bit of, a, of an advantage. I felt that the attitude of the players stepping up was, they, they looked very confident. Obviously, it's easy to say that with uh, hindsight, but I don't, even Locatelli with his miss, I, I didn't feel like he was going to miss, let's put it that way. Whereas the Spain players looked, a little bit more tense, um, a little bit more, uh, they looked more serious, let's say, let's put it this way. So it went in our favor, of course, and uh, I think the, Jorginho knew exactly where he was going to put that penalty like six months ago when he was in his uh, crib in London and he was sending some text messages back home to Brazil or something. He already knew, and I'm going to play a Euro semi and put the penalty over there. Yeah, I was going to say, how cool was that penalty? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, anyway. I shouldn't really mention Ventura. I always mention Ventura in a negative light, and he's kind of a jinx, so we should mention him. But once more, I have to say, Ventura is the manager who said, I don't have a spot for Jorginho in my Italy squad. And you look at these performances throughout this tournament, and you think, well, no wonder this guy didn't qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. 
absolutely completely completely changed days aren't they um and yeah obviously resulting in this final that we're looking forward to slash dreading on on sunday against england we're going to speak about that in a little bit but before we do that we have the final scouting report of these euro 2020s and it is the big one it's england at Wembley, uh, and our boy Oscar did find time to to speak to his old friend, England fan, and rising radio star Jesse uh, about his expectations for the big game. So let's hear what they had to say. Ah, hello, Suri fan. You will notice that I've been relegated to the scouting report section of the podcast. Obviously, there's a big conflict of interest with me being an Englishman. It wouldn't really be fair for me to be hosting the preview to the final. So Kenny is a proud Italian and probably more importantly, a proud Scot has taken over that duty. Um, so yeah, here in the scouting report section, I have Jesse. Uh, Jesse is an actor and theatre maker, but probably more relevantly for this part, he's also a Londoner and a very keen supporter of England and uh, a big fan of Gareth Southgate. Jesse, welcome to the pod. Great to be here with you, Oscar. Um, sorry that you've been exiled from hosting the pod, I'm sure. Kenny and Boaz won't have any vested interest of their own in the final. Well, yeah, hopefully I can return to my position there soon and I won't be permanently banished. Although, on the other hand, maybe hopefully I will be permanently banished just well, thinking indeed. about the result indeed. on Sunday. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, you are actually in London, so maybe you could give us a bit of a lowdown. Um, what was the feeling on the street? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to the pub because I was um, having to do some online teaching uh, so I, I missed the first half, which I then later caught up on. But I mean, the videos I was getting from from friends who were out of the pub and also obviously on social media, I think it was absolute pandemonium, really. Um, this, <laughs> I'm sure people have seen the videos of, of, of people climbing on top of buses, including while they're moving, people leaping out of tube carriages as the doors open, singing footballs coming home. Um, I could hear from my back garden, I could hear all the car horns kind of in the distance in central London. And I think there's an atmosphere of a kind of incredulity as much as anything. Um, this is just completely uncharted territory for England fans. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, Southgate and the team have done an in- incredible job in uniting what feels like the vast, vast majority of the country behind them. Yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for that. And um, yeah, Boaz has asked me to ask you whether or not it's coming home. Listeners won't be able to see this, but in the software we're using to record, your name is It's Coming Home. So I can only uh, mm. assume that's a yes. Yeah, well, I think that is more more in 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 faith than in certainty. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think England have got a good chance, but uh, I, I I do I would make Italy I would make Italy favourites. I think it's going to be really, really tough. I think what's interesting is the two teams are quite similar in many ways. I, I noticed Boaz and I think Kenny as well talking about this Italy squad, um, who I've been hugely impressed with, saying that you know there's no massive individual star in the Italian uh, eleven or indeed in the squad. And I think it's kind of the same with England. Um, maybe Harry Kane and obviously Sterling's had an incredible tournament, but um, the sides feel you know I think they are the two best teams at the competition. I would worry as an England fan about the Barella, Baratti, Jorginho midfield. I think uh, the kind of the the range of passing and just the composure on the ball makes me think that as good as Phillips and Rice have been for England, that's going to be very, very difficult to control the game there. 
And likewise, I think, you know, the success that we've had in the air in, in, in games against Ukraine, in the game against Ukraine, for example, with Maguire and Kane, I think that's going to be hard to replicate against the likes of Bonucci yeah. and Chiellini. But I, but I am optimistic that we can cause Italy some, some problems with, um, you know, with our, with our attacking players. I think there's, there's so much ability on the ball with Saka, Sterling, and then the likes of Foden, Grealish, Mount, um, whoever it is who starts, whoever comes off the bench, that I would fancy us running at some of those Italian defenders. I think it's England's best chance in many ways will be, you know, that ball across the six-yard box or even winning a penalty as they did against Denmark. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're right to highlight that midfield battle. I saw, um, yeah, that our younger central midfield is struggling a bit, even against Hoiberg in the Denmark game. So that could be um, could be a worry. But, I, think, um, yeah. I think what was impressive, though, is that was, was watching, I think the maturity of this England side is what everyone is so, I mean, in footballing terms, not in terms of age, but it's, it's what people are so struck by is because, you know, the way they move the ball around uh, in that last two, three minutes of extra time, just keeping possession, getting the Olays from the Wembley crowd is just nothing like what you're used to seeing from an England team. So I I do agree. And I think Italy, as I say, I I would I would make them favourites. But I think there is a level of composure and calm and not being phased seemingly by these big occasions, which is is something that's new in in this England team. And obviously they'll have the, you know, the Wembley advantage that I've seen Giorgio Chiellini's been been speaking about today I don't imagine he'll be particularly phased by it or the Italians in general um, I absolutely loved the way he handled Jordi Alba before that penalty shootout but um, but I think it will it will be something that you know as much as it probably won't harm the Italians I think it will it will give uh, it will give England a momentum finally having that stadium feeling like a home ground which for you know so many years it in many ways hasn't done yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Harry Kane deals with that kind of uh, hijinks, if indeed it does get to that stage. Yeah, uh, exactly. You can't see him being too phased by it, can you? I was going to say, I imagine he'd just look blankly at Giorgio Chiellini if Chiellini tried any of that with him. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you're a Spurs fan, Oscar. You saw, um, you, you saw Harry Kane against Benucci and Chiellini, was it, um, a couple of years ago playing uh, yeah. in the Champions League. How, how did he get on? Correct, yeah. Um, it's similar in the way to how Lukaku got on against him in the uh, Belgium game. But it looked to be getting the better of the early exchanges. Perhaps you're thinking, oh, Chiellini's like losing a yard on him here. But he failed to score and we ended up losing 2-1 in exactly the same way as Belgium. So mm. well, he scored from the spot, mm. of course, in the Belgium game. But um, unbeaten still from open play by Lukaku. And I think Harry Kane will struggle. Like you say, maybe the runners off Kane going ahead of him will, will, will cause them more issues. Yeah, and I think so. I don't know what, uh, I don't know if it will be um, Emerson again and uh, is it Di Lorenzo who, who was who plays at right back for Italy? Um, obviously, it was, I think it was Di Lorenzo who gave away that penalty in the Belgium game. So, um, so yeah, in, in many ways, um, I feel like they can be got at probably. Yeah, so very much looking forward to watching this game. I'm actually going to be watching it with a load of Italians that I play football with. So I'm going to need you to wish me the best of luck. What are your plans for watching the game? I'm a little bit undecided at the moment. I think it'll either be with my housemates in my front room, uh, or possibly venturing out, venturing out to the pub to see what to see what the atmosphere is like. Uh, it'll either be extreme desolation on the streets of London afterwards, or absolute carnage, um, for better or worse. There was there was 
a funny moment the other night in the semi-final where I think it was in the last couple of minutes of extra time where um, the commentator on ITV, the, 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 the camera cut to these England fans jumping around in the crowd celebrating and he just went full Alan Partridge and was uh, he was saying stuff like, um, I think he was going, uh, well, you can't really blame them after the year that we've had. Do what you want tonight. You know, all bets are off kind of thing. <laughs> and me and my husband just looked at each other and went, did he just cancel like COVID restrictions for the nation? Um, and then he was obviously doing the backpedal on that saying, oh, whatever you do, though, you know, wear a mask and make sure you're socially distanced. Um, for better or worse, I think that'll go out the window if they win. But um, yeah. Uh, it's going to be incredibly exciting and I think a great a, a great game. Um, just a, quickly wanted to say as well, um, a mention for Denmark who, you know, just have an incredible tournament and I think were very unlucky with the penalty, obviously. thought Schmeichel was incredible and yeah, if I weren't an England fan, uh, obviously would have been rooting for them as the neutral neutral's favourite. Well, yeah, I, I imagine there might be a few people dialing in sick on Monday morning, either way, in Seems the UK, likely, yeah. uh, unless you get a bank holiday, of course. Um, so fingers crossed for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks very much for joining me and uh, giving a, giving me your thoughts. Um, you know who I'll be supporting on Sunday. Don't need to share that one with the listeners. Uh, so back over to you, boys. Um, oh, and it's coming home. It's pronounced Rome guys football's coming rome uh but anyway oscar we can we can speak about that next time you're on the pod of course uh thank you very much to oscar and jesse for for that great to great to hear your views jesse boaz back here it's italy versus england it's wembley stadium in front of 60 to seventy thousand fans looks pretty daunting how do you fancy italy's chances um I mean, for uh, superstitious reasons, I'm always going to downplay Italy's chances just because that's the Italian way. And uh, to be honest, as you said, it's pretty much an, an away game for the final against, and Italy will not have any um, or will not have many supporters in tow. So on paper, at least, that should benefit England very much. But uh, Italy are the kind of side that enjoy playing in adversity. The semi-final against Holland in Holland in Euro 2000 uh, immediately springs to mind. But there are numerous examples of Italy um, triumphing away from home or at least in very hostile situ- situations. And um, you'd be a fool to discount Italy after the tournament they've had. So, yeah, I mean, it looks it feels like UEFA did everything in their hand in their hands to help England out in this particular tournament. But, um, <laughs> Controversial. But uh, let's see how it plays out. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a huge, a huge advantage for for England, really, playing in front of their, their home crowd. I would say, again, coming back to what we've said a few times uh, on, on this, <laughs> on the, the podcast in the knockout stages, it is 50-50. Um, I would think on paper, I would have, Italy as probably shading it just in terms of how well they're playing as a team at this competition. I think England were excellent despite going through with a very controversial penalty decision yesterday. I think regardless of that, they were at least for the last hour of that, they were the better team and they certainly gave as good as they got in the in the first hour. But I think Italy have been the better team throughout the tournament. If you look at this on paper, if it was at a neutral venue, uh, I, I would think Italy would probably be the favourites, but I, I, I don't know. In front of uh, sixty to seventy thousand fans, 
you know, at a time where the, the fans are hungry and haven't seen a live game for God knows how long. I don't know. I, I'm definitely worried. Uh, I'm also obviously worried about Sterling, who's been one of the breakout stars. Well, to call him a breakout star is a bit ludicrous. He's uh, he's very much already a star, um, but he's definitely been one of the one of the stars of of the tournament. And I do worry a little bit with Spinazzola, you know, being out. I think Italy missed him greatly in the in the Spain game uh, for his mainly for for sort of his attacking outlet. And I kind of wonder whoever comes into that left back role is going to is going to have to handle Sterling, um, and again with with a back two, so that you're not going to have a left sided centre back who can come over and, and offer cover. And I don't know. Uh, yeah, I wonder if Di Lorenzo might be might be the answer. As obviously he moved over to left back in that last game. Uh, maybe having a right back playing at left back against Sterling, who likes cutting in, might be might be good. I don't know. What do you think? What are, what are your views on? I guess on Sterling. We didn't really mention it in that in the previous segment, but I felt that most of the Italy side underperformed against uh, Spain. But perhaps the one shining light was uh, uh, Di Lorenzo with his uh, porn star Tash. And, and... <laughs> I fully agree. He was great. He had a great game. He was very present physically, but also he he made the he was very good at uh, kind of launching the attacks. But he didn't get forward too much, which is what we needed in that match. You asked me specifically about Sterling. I I've got to say I've I've always been a fan, and I don't understand some of the criticism he gets uh, back in England. Although maybe this tournament will be his redemption, and he's definitely a very scary proposition. I'm not sure Italy have played a player quite like him so far in this tournament. Perhaps Belgium had uh, players who were actually his teammate, De Bruyne, and other midfielders who are on a similar level, but different kind of players. Obviously, he's uh, very quick and will dart into the area and maybe drag his leg here and there. <laughs> but I also, I, I was very impressed with um, Kane's performance in the semifinal. I thought that uh, his passing range was highly uh, impressive. And as I said, I, th- I think those two together are probably where England are slightly better than Italy, I, I would pro- I'd pick Kane over Immobile, unfortunately. And uh, perhaps I'd also take Sterling over uh, Insigne, despite Insigne being a total legend. But uh, elsewhere on the field, I think the the teams match up more, are more there's more balance in the matchup. And I possibly, as uh, Jesse and Oscar alluded to, the Italy midfield is um, slightly superior. Uh, Jorginho, of course, uh, not. I don't have to say too much about him. He's a Champions League winner. He's a total metronome. And uh, Verratti is slowly coming back to form in this tournament. And um, those two together are great. But Barella, despite not having the best game against um, Spain, he's also been uh, really fantastic in this tournament. And uh, if not Barella, then there's... Uh, Plenty of talent on the bench for Mancini to turn to in case he wants to switch it up a little bit. I would probably keep Jorginho and Verratti together just because Mancini has built his whole uh, tenure on that partnership. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, of course, Barella, you mentioned how good a tournament he's had. Obviously, we have to we have to also mention how great uh, a season he's had for, for Inter as well. One of the absolute stars this year, really. Great. Well, I, I, I'd like to say I'm looking forward to the game. Um, did you want to add something before we move on? I've heard a lot of uh, people, especially at Zoe fans, parrot uh, the view that um, Declan Rice and 
Calvin Phillips, uh, who are in the England midfield, they don't play for a, a big club. They haven't had any Champions League experience, and therefore they're they're there for the taking. But we have to remember that uh, Locatelli, who for now plays for lowly Sassuolo, um, has been one of Italy's midfield stars. And Pessina, although of course he plays for Atalanta, who are now perennial Champions League uh, challengers, yeah. um, Atalanta are still a quote-unquote small club. And um, so, again, I wouldn't look down on where these players are coming from, but I think that tactically, at least, um, England should be an easier uh, proposition for Italy because Italy will want to hold the ball. And I don't think the English midfield will be doing that as happily as Spain were, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, Spain was a nightmare proposition, really, for for Italy. Um, yeah, just given the given the game that Mancini has kind of built this uh, Italy team around, um, Spain just didn't allow them to do that. And you'd like to think that they'll perhaps have more chance to to do that against against England. Um, but yeah, uh, I was good. I was going to say that I'm, you know, would like to say that I was looking forward to to the game on Sunday, but. Um, dreading it slightly as as you always do these occasions i think um yeah a lot of lot of nervous energy in the build up to that um we're going to move on shortly to best of the rest and uh, honorable and dishonorable mentions but first boaz uh, you wanted to discuss sarri uh, his first interview since becoming lazio manager and he had some choice words about juve didn't he yes uh, maurizio sarri had been suspiciously quiet for several months and so he gave an interview to one of the italian sports news channels and uh basically he seemed to uh kind of pull some arrows from the from his uh from his back or some knives out of his back sorry uh for a start he said that uh the juventus uh, league title win last season was kind of taken for granted both outside of the team but crucially within the club and that uh they didn't even uh, celebrate the victory. Everyone went out for dinner by themselves, is what he said. And th- this year, they've, they're celebrating a fourth spot like it was the best thing that ever happened to them. Another thing he said was that uh, already all the way back in October, he had a ch- meeting with his staff and he said that if they don't change their ways and start playing more uh, quote-unquote Juventus style, then uh, they'll be fired within two, three weeks. And uh, they all agreed to start playing a more uh, conservative type of football well, knowing the, that they would get fired regardless at the end of the year. So, I mean, knowing how the season went last year and how Juventus took a really uh, big uh, gap on the top and to know now yeah. that the the staff essentially knew that they were going to be shown the door within a couple of weeks is quite eye-opening. The last thing he had to say that I thought was super interesting was that um, dealing with uh, Ronaldo was never simple. It's like dealing with a multinational company. And sometimes the interest of the multinational company contrasts with the interest of the club. And he says that uh, he, the guy has more followers than uh, all the Serie A clubs put together. So uh, obviously with, with that following comes uh, a certain kind of uh, arrogance. At the same time, he also praised uh, Ronaldo's um, professionalism. So, I mean, this is Sari uh, on fire as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a little bit of an insight into the the motivation that that got Juve over the line as well in that in that season. And I'm I'm looking forward to Pirlo giving a similar interview in like six months' time. Yeah, I'm not sure it's Pirlo's style to be honest, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of have been a fly in the wall, really. Uh, but anyway, 
yeah, we must we must move on. So we're gonna we're gonna whiz through best of the rest this week. We're gonna start off with the the news from yesterday that Salernitana have been given the go ahead to to take part in Serie. Um, obviously, there were you know discussions about whether they were they were going to be expelled because of the the rules that wouldn't have allowed them to to take part because Lotito, who obviously is the Lazio owner, also was owner of Salernitana. Um, but they've been given the go-ahead to play next season under three conditions, which are that uh, Lotito is fully divested from the from the from Salernitana by the 31st of December, uh, that there is an independent third party to scrutinize this process and ensure full compliance and that there will be no transfer dealings at all uh, between Lazio and Salernitana. So that includes loans, sales, anything, uh, until obviously the, the you know they, they are completely separate uh, entities. Uh, moving on to other news, uh, Giroud is reported to have agreed to sign for for Milan for a fee of two million euros. Absolute bargain, if you if you ask me. And staying on Milan news, there's just a few things, uh, well, a, a few confirmed things that have been in discussions over the last few weeks. Tonali has officially become uh, a permanent Milan player. Um, and in Rome, Paolo Lopez has moved to, to Marseille. That move has become official. Obviously, we've spoken about it recently, but now confirmed. Spezia uh, have officially appointed Tiago Motta as manager. Uh, famous, obviously, for the two-seven-two formation. Um, <laughs> and what else have we got? We got Fiji Chi have written to the Italian government asking for stadiums to be reopened for the new season in line with other major European leagues. Apparently, uh, obviously, it was twenty-five percent is the the proposal that stadiums would be reopened at. Uh, but apparently a lot of clubs saying that that is just completely unfeasible, unfeasible and uh, doesn't actually make uh, any sense for them to open it at that at that level. Uh, final point is that uh, there are a few managers officially presented today, um, just, you know, official presentations of deals that had been uh, previously announced. Spalletti at Napoli, Juric at Torino and Inzaghi at Inter. Buzz, I think you wanted to to mention something about uh, Fijici there. Yeah, I just wanted to add that the what the clubs are demanding is that uh, people who have been vaccinated be allowed back into the stadium, and that way um, the clubs will be able to fill the whole stadium. But uh, in theory, it will be safe. And I don't think that's a crazy proposition. I think uh, it's in line with other uh, commercial dealings happening in Italy right now. So I don't see why football should uh, have any different uh, treatment i think that's fair and uh, and rational as someone who <laughs> is probably quite quite um conservative in terms of how quick i would want things to reopen um yeah i would agree i would agree with you boaz um right so we're moving on to honorables and dishonorables now boaz you wanted to start with some uh, worrying news about uh, sassuolo and babacar yes um Babacar, who's played for Fiorentina, Padova, Modena, Sassuolo and Lecce before moving to Turkey in, in 2020 as part of a loan deal, but essentially is still owned by uh, Sassuolo, had a cardiac spasm during training earlier today while playing in while training in Turkey. Um, he was in hospital and uh, he's posted a picture that he's uh, he's doing fine and wrote in Italian that he thanks all his friends, family and supporters for um, 
asking how he was, but still, it's uh, especially in light of the Christian Eriksen episode, it's uh, it's always uh, kind of eye-opening or shocking when a professional sportsman has a medical issue, particularly a heart issue. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously wish him all the best for a speedy recovery, a speedy and full recovery. Um, moving to slightly brighter, brighter news. Uh, you also have an honorable for the, well, for the Italian national team, but I think Insigne in particular. I think um, in amongst all the suffering that was the 120 minutes against Spain, uh, the the fact that Spinazzola was not there was obviously very evident on the pitch, but it was a really nice gesture from Insigne, but I guess from the whole team to um, bring out his number four shirt and make sure it was center of all the celebrations because uh, while he's no longer going to be available to play, he's still very much an integral part of this squad. And it's it goes back to what we said on earlier episodes that there's a real... Uh, team spirit in in this Italy squad that maybe has not been seen as much in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got an honourable mention for Damsgaard, of course. It's my my goals honourable, and it's for his absolutely wonderful free kick uh, against England, uh, all of about 20, 20, 25 possibly yards. Um, and just when you see it from, from behind, just the technique with which he hits it, the pace at which it goes past Pickford, just... Uh, Fantastic, fantastic free kick. And the first free kick to be scored at Euro 2020. Who knows? Probably, possibly the the only one. Um, but yeah, honourable to, to Dansgaard. Boaz, you've got an honourable for Luis Enrique, the Spain manager. We mentioned earlier in the episode that uh, Luis Enrique won the tactical battle in the Spain-Italy game. And his uh, decision not to play a striker was probably a, a masterstroke. And had his players been slightly better at finishing he probably would have been in the final right now. But um, I want to give him uh, honorable for being magnanimous in defeat as well. He said, uh, I'm, I'm really happy for what I've seen. The, the players played at a very high level, both teams. And um, I can't really say much to my own my guys. They, they gave their, their best. Um, and now he said, uh, I'm really sorry for England. He said this before England played Denmark, by the way. But uh, he said, I'm really sorry for England, but I'm going to be supporting Italy in the next game. Yeah, yeah. Classic guy, and obviously he's got ties with Italy, so you know, fair enough as and well. And he looks at that year in Rome, despite it being very tumultuous, as being uh, very important to his career. So good guy, good guy. We like him. Uh, I've got an honourable for. I'm, I wasn't sure who to give this to, whether it was whether to give it to the Italian team or whether to give it to the Italian nation. I've decided to give it to Mancini, um, and it's an honourable because. Calcio Finanza uh, are reporting that Italy, Spain had a domestic broadcast audience of 20 million in uh, Italy for the, the semi-final against Spain, which is the highest figure for a football match since the semi-final of Euro 2012, when Italy played against Germany, obviously uh, came through victorious in that game. Um, but yeah, just after the catastrophe of 2018, it's an honourable to Mancini for reigniting Italy's passion for the for the national team. This is something we haven't touched on in any episode of the Euro, and it's actually something that keeps it's always on the back of my mind. But most people are used, most big nations are used to seeing their teams every two years at the tournament. But because of Ventura, who I'm mentioning again, um, <laughs> we we haven't seen Italy at the major tournament for five years, so yeah. it makes it doubly as exciting. And every time that anthem is played, it's just glorious. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. It's great, great to be back. Um, Boz, you've got an honourable for, for Chiellini. 
I mean, Kilini's antics throughout this tournament have been brilliant, but I'm I'm giving him an honorable for his uh, behavior just before the penalty kicks, where um, the whole world, including myself, w- felt super tense. And here's this guy cracking a huge smile, kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. joking around with uh, Jordi Alba, not, not giving him the time of day. Jordi Alba clearly <laughs> trying to get some head space, and there's Kilini bear hugging him, squeezing his cheek. Calling him a liar, <laughs> fantastic. And he once it's so relaxed, I have to say, once I saw that, that, I was kind of slightly more relieved. And yeah, total honorable for Chiellini. Fair play. And I'm going to do a scudetto first here and give Chiellini another another honorable, a double honorable shock. Uh, and this is for the end of the penalty shootout, actually, because uh, when Jorginho scored that Kulazai's penalty. Obviously, as always happens, the enti- the entire uh, team, the entire entire Italy team, ran over to to celebrate with Giorgino. Um But Chiellini happened to be standing right next to to Locatelli. I'm not sure if intentionally or not, um, but right next to Locatelli, who had obviously missed his penalty and must have had his heart in his in his throat throughout that entire thing. And just as Locatelli was running off to celebrate with the rest of the team, he just grabbed him before he could get away and gave him the biggest hug um, before, obviously, both of them proceeding to, to run off and join the rest of the team in celebration. But I thought that was really, really nice. And, you know, for, for any criticism anyone can have of Chiellini, it was a real, like, insight into how much of an actual captain the guy is. So, so yeah, honourable, honourable for me for that uh, and we're going to finish off the the honorable mentions here boaz with uh, we haven't had a dishonorable th- today actually which is positive. so i'm going to shock you and add a dishonorable into this honorable <laughs> so it, it felt to me like stewards at uh, Wembley stadium aren't quite sure what their job is um bonucci went down into the audience into the crowd sorry and uh oh, and yeah hugged uh, some of the Italy fans was and was amazing. bizarrely stopped quite uh, <laughs> yeah. quite aggressively by a steward who obviously felt he was a fan that came down into the into the stadium. So I think that's a slight dishonorable for the steward for not immediately recognizing Bonucci. But on that note, I mean, somehow uh, a pitch invader managed to get on the pitch and join the Italy uh, team in celebrations. Uh, jumping up and down. So again, stewards, where are you? But uh, this is a honorable to Marco Verratti, who uh, doesn't speak Italian according to our last episode, but he was hugging this random imposter for a few seconds, <laughs> jumping up and down with him. And then c- clearly seen on TV, he turns to him. And I hope whoever is editing this episode uh, beeps me out. But if not, I'm sorry. But he looks at him and he says, who the fuck are you? <laughs> It's a glorious Amazing. moment. Amazing. Fantastic. Perfect. And what a way, what a way to end the the episode. Um we are we are gonna be back um after after the final um with our uh, either either our gloating or our uh, our, our moping tails between around. Our, our knees. Yeah, one of one of the two. Um but yeah, other than that, I think all all I really have to say is thank you very much to all of the uh all of the contributors who have given us their insight from from all of the, the various countries throughout throughout this uh, Euro special season of uh, of Scudetto to all the the listeners as well 
who've, who've listened in. Uh, of course, as always, remember that uh, Scudetto is on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you really get your, get your audio. So please do subscribe. Uh, other than that, we'll speak to you on the other side, guys. Enjoy the final. Forza, ragazzi! che sta decretando lo scudetto del Milan in questo preciso istante finita la Juventus è campione d'Italia questa data il 6 maggio tutto anticipo la Roma è campione d'Italia per la stagione 2000-2001 il titolo del 2008 l'Inter è campione d'Italia sedicesimo scudetto per la squadra Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 